Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host, Michael Preston. We are now at the podcast portion of our 2018 Grand Big Old Daddy Preview thing. I, this has an official name, but I'm not sure what it is. I'm going to call it the Big Old Grand Daddy Preview thing uh, here at Kook Center. We, I am Michael Preston. Jeff Neusser is with me as well. And Jeff, I, I kind of we kind of previewed the team a little bit, talked to Theo for the first podcast of the year a couple of weeks ago, and I don't think anybody's particularly bullish on this football team. You know, I think you and I both think probably going to miss a bowl this season, and that doesn't make for a particularly fun year when you consider, you know, three straight bowl seasons. But there is at least kind of maybe a reason to think they can win six games this year after the Pac-12 shot themselves in the foot by saying no five-win team will go to a bowl game. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, they're not so putrid that, you know, it's it's like a foregone. I mean, this isn't Paul Wolf, right? It's no, not, no, it's not Paul It's Wolf. not a foregone conclusion that they're not going to get to six wins. And, you know, even though I think, you know, it's, it's sort of, you know, looking that way. And I think a lot of that has to do, you know, for me, has to do with the fact that, you know, all the offseason turnover, the death of Tyler Holinsky, I think those kinds of things, you know, college kids, um, and, you know, and sometimes I feel weird using the term kids because I'm like, you know, they're legally adults. But other times it's kind of like, yeah, it fits. You know, in this case, you know, as, as not fully developed, mature adults, the amount of stuff they've had to deal with in terms of relationships with coaches and, you know, again, you know, Tyler and all that stuff, it's just, it's very difficult for me to see how they're going to be able to be, um, you know, mentally together enough to overcome mm-hmm. that. But, but, you know, they could, you know, they could, and it wouldn't shock me. You know, I think, you know, I wrote on the uh, preview, you know, introduction, I said, you know, Hey, it's Mike Leach, right? You know, all that guy does is go to bowl games. And yeah. 16 years and he's only missed two bowl games. So, you know, that tells you a little something about what he's able to do and, and what he's able to coax out of his teams. And, and so certainly I think, you know, six wins is not, insane or crazy or you know whatever do i think it's improbable sure but i don't think it's i don't think it's out of the question at all i think i'm one other thing i want to touch on i think i don't i and i haven't seen as many people making as many bones about this this offseason as maybe i thought and that even extends to me i haven't thought about it as much maybe as i thought i would and that's the fact that you had something like what like nine eight or nine assistant coaches turn over and the only guys still here are jeff phelps ken wilson and Eric Mealy, whether you want Eric Mealy here or not, he is still here, and Mike <laughs> Leach. Um, but every other assistant position, including the defensive coordinator position, turned over, 
And you you deal with the fact that you know these guys could come in and have a completely different coaching style, and we got a bunch of eighteen to twenty two year old kids. Is that getting enough play? Do you think? Because as I'm talking it out here, it seems like that could be or have almost as big of an effect on this season as losing all these starters that WSU lost. Sure. And, you know, I mean, there's a couple different ways you could look at it. I think, you know, one way is you could say, wow, that's, you know, these guys are losing these coaches who know them well and are able to, uh, you know, kind of know how to tweak them and poke them. And, you know, you know, I mean, there's a relationship there, there's a comfort level, you know, et cetera. But, you know, I mean, okay. So if we, but let's say we turn that on its head, you know, what do mm-hmm. we say? Okay, well, you know, coaching staffs turn over from time to time. I mean, that's not, you know, coaches get fired, new coaches come in. Sometimes those new coaches are able to coax more out of guys than what, you know, than what the previous guys had. And mm-hmm. and so while I think the sheer volume is not great, um, you know, if we say, okay, well, what, you know, how potentially could this maybe be a positive thing? And, and I think, you know, we know from experience that sometimes, you know, hearing – you know, a message from, from a different voice, you know, can actually be, you know, pretty beneficial sometimes, you know, you hear someone, you know, you hear your mom say, you know, 38 times that you look like a slob, but then your girlfriend says it one time and all of a sudden, right. You start dressing, better. Yeah. you know, I mean, so I, you know, I think these new voices, you know, they, if we're saying, okay, well, what, what could be the positive impact of that? Well, you know, I mean, these guys have a different perspective and, you know, and this is something that's, you know, an argument that a number of people have made on our site, which is like, you know, you could argue that a lot of these positions have potentially been upgraded. That you've actually gotten a better coach, you know, and, mm-hmm. and as much as we loved Grinch, um, you know, and how great he was and how much, you know, I think we all wanted him to stay. I don't think there's any, you know, difference on that or any change on that. But, but also if you're like, okay, you know, you replace him with someone who's got a long history of being a really good defensive coordinator. Yeah. Um, and, and suddenly you just go, okay, well, you know, maybe you at the very least made, you know, made a lateral hire, a guy who's yeah. as good. So, you know, I, I think there's, I think there's an element where, you know, hearing some, hearing some words from a different person, getting a different perspective. Um, sometimes people who have clout, you know, Steve Spurrier Jr. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a name that I think even. No, I've, I've never heard of his father before. I've never heard of, never heard of anybody named that before ever. Yeah. So yeah. So I think, you know, I think it could, I think it could be mitigated, the the turnover. It could be mitigated to some degree by, you know, just a different voice and, Maybe a different way of coaching. I want to touch on kind of one point you made there in bringing in Tracy Clays. I mean, the guy was the defensive coordinator at Minnesota for years and years and years before he took over for Jerry Kill for a season and a half. And I, I, the way I'm kind of thinking of this is that this is kind of a reputation rebuilder for him. I mean, he you know left under some not great circumstances at Minnesota. I think we all remember what that was before uh, the 2016 Holiday Bowl where they played Washington State and you know, he stood behind his players in a situation where maybe he should or shouldn't have, but he did leave nonetheless. This is kind of a, you know, I don't expect him to stay in Pullman for the long term. And is that something you're kind of expecting as well, that as soon as he kind of gets his reputation rebuilt, he's out of here. But in the meantime, be very thankful that he is here to rebuild that reputation. You know, I don't know. Um, I mean, so logic sort of says, okay, he took a step down to go from a head coach back to a defensive coordinator, and you know he's going to be looking to be a head coach again. But you kind of have to consider the the circumstances under which he became head coach in the first place, right? Yeah. It's a, you know, it's not like he was, you know, the hot. You know, it's not like he's PJ Fleck, right? I mean, he's not the hot shot, 
guy, you know, who everybody wants to get their hands on. It's, um, you know, he gets elevated into that spot after, you know, Jerry Kill has his health problems, um, you know, and so, so he gets this job. I, mean, I, I don't want to say by default because that's not fair, but it's, but he gets the job because, you yeah. know, he was the coordinator and because they wanted some continuity in the program. So, so he gets that job. So, you know, when you say reputation rebuilder, I, I think in some sense, yeah, you know, I mean, he's, He's out to kind of coach again and do it in a way that's not, uh, you know, patently offensive like it was yeah. when he stood behind uh, his players who had, you know, probably raped a girl. I mean, that's, you know, that's maybe not the best. Not idea a great for decision. A no, no. Right. No. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I think everybody knows he's a coach, you know, and so for him to come out to a place like Wazoo, you know, I, I don't know that whatever he does here leads him to a path back to head coach, if that makes sense. Yeah. So if, if that's the case, you know, I you know, I, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that he's, you know, bailing after a year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if he does, I mean, whatever. I mean, that stuff happens, as we've seen with the rest of the staff. I mean, guys come and go and just about every school's like that. You know, guys mm-hmm. come and go. So, you know, I don't I don't think it wouldn't shock me if he did go. But I also don't think, you know, whatever he does here. If he moves along, uh, I don't think it's going to be because, you know, ADs are banging down his door to hire him as a head coach again. And, yeah. you know, for that reason, he could be around for a while. I want to talk now about uh, Gardner Minshew because, you know, I, we as we said in our first podcast of the year, it seemed like a genuinely open competition between him, Tinsley, and Gordon. I was a little surprised to hear Mike Leach say Cam and Cooper, and I think that was just Mike Leach being Mike Leach. And Cooper probably never really had a chance unless he looked completely different than the kid we saw during the spring game in April, but uh, Minshew is interesting in the way that, you know, I think we've seen some observers say he's just not going to sit in the pocket and hold on to the football like Luke Falk did last year. He Falk had problems with indecisiveness, and Minshew doesn't seem to have that, and it reminds me a bit of Connor Halliday in 2014, where Halliday was going to throw some picks, but he was going to go back out there and throw the ball into that tight fit again because, damn it, he was going to get the ball in there, and that you just kind of need a guy with a quick, quick trigger in this offense. Do they? You think they have that in Minshew? And I think other uh, people are getting kind of hung up on those East Carolina numbers last year. But I think the other thing is, you know, maybe he's not that quarter. You know, he might not be a great quarterback, but he is not that bad. Because my God, were the Pirates awful? Yeah, I mean, that was a bad team. They they were often so the the stuff on YouTube that I've been able to watch. There's a couple games on there which are really just cut-ups of, of his play. And, you know, what it's, it seems to me that, you know, their their defense was was horrible, like like patently horrible. Yeah, I watched like, him give up like 35 points to Memphis yeah. in about 17 minutes, so yeah. Yeah, like like number 123 horrible yeah. kind of stuff. So, so the offense was often put in sort of a position that where it was going to be real tough to be successful. Um, so I think that probably played into part of it. Um, and then the weapons around him, you know, I mean, he's got a lot better weapons now than he had at East Carolina and not that yeah. they had terrible weapons on offense. Um, you know, they had a running back who was pretty dynamic, but, but they're not, you know, the, I mean, the guy they had there isn't, you know, Max Borgie and Booby Williams, right? I mean, yeah. you know, Tay Martin and, and just as sort of a side note, I mean, I think Tay Martin's going to explode this year. I really do. I think mm-hmm. he's going to have a way bigger year than people realize. And he brings uh, speed and athleticism to the outside, um, an improvement in speed and athleticism um, to what, you know, we had last year out there with Tavares Martin on the left. So, you know, I feel like, uh, 
you know, there's reason to think that a guy who will trust his receivers to make plays, which is kind of one of the things that um, Luke Falk really lost, especially when Gabe Marks left. He, he would throw the ball to Marks and trust Marks to make a play. But, you know, last year it sure seemed like he didn't trust anyone um, to go make a play. And I think yeah. even two years ago, same deal with Craycraft, right? Yeah. And so, you know, Minshew, I think, is a guy who just inherently is a quarterback, trusts his receivers to go make plays. He's going to, you know, throw it out there and, and, and let a guy go get it. And I think that's an extension of his personality. I mean, I just wrote about that you know, for the preview, I mean, he's a fun guy and he wants to have fun and he's going to throw the ball over the yard and it's going to be fun and we're going to have fun. Dang it. And I think, you know, for us (laughs) as fans, you know, I think it's, I think it's going to be interesting. I do think Wyoming is not the softest landing in the world. I think their defense is pretty strong. And I, you know, that's a, that's a tough way to head out of the gate. I'd feel a lot better if the first game was, you know, that home game against San Jose state where he can carve up an overmatched opponent. But at the same time, you know, um, you know, I just I think that what I, and honestly, the other thing is this, that he's growing, he's maturing in this offense at a rate that I don't think we've ever seen out of a quarterback since mm-hmm. Leach has been at WSU. I mean, I know a lot of that has to do with the fact that he's so experienced and he's been around. He's been at three different schools, his fourth school. He's seen a lot of things. So I'm sure that's part of it. But the rate at which he is improving. Uh, is, is quite frankly far outpaces anything I anticipated. So, yeah. uh, so I'm really optimistic. I think he's going to be fun. I think he's going to be interesting. I think he'll throw some interceptions that piss me off, and I, I think he'll make some other plays that make <laughs> me go wow. And 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 I think whatever it is, it's not going to be boring. No, I well, and I think we've all kind of touched on that. That the whole point of this offense is not the point of the air raid is that it's supposed to be fun. We're supposed to, like you said, chuck the ball all over the friggin' yard, and it's supposed to be fun. It's not supposed to be boring. It's supposed to wow you. And at times, yeah, it's supposed to kind of make the quarterback look dumb because he's not making a good throw. But Minshew is a guy who, with these weapons, can kind of do that. I want to move on to something else now because as I think we're... I'm Even I'm a little bullish on Minshew like you are. The thing I am not bullish on is the defensive line. And oh, the, the, the lack of just bodies just literally anyone who has any experience playing defensive line whatsoever being out there and I I think you know we were worried last year about depth on the line but they got very very lucky in the sense that you know Hercules Mataafa never got hurt Daniel Equale never got hurt Frankie Louvu who played Rush never got hurt Nambi Aguayo was in relatively good shape the entire season and now Nandi Aguayo is out. Derek Moore is out. And they got all these other issues on the line that it's Taylor Comfort and Nick Begg up front as your starters. And I, I I don't know if you're the same as me, but boy, the bourbon starts flowing a lot quicker when you think <laughs> about that. You know, I mean, maybe uh, Lola Haya transferred because Taylor Comfort is just that amazing. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, maybe, yeah. maybe we didn't think about that. Yeah, that's uh, optimistic. Like, you know, in all seriousness, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's concerning for sure. Um, and this is where, you know, I think we, we kind of go back to, uh, look, what, what scares me most about that line is just that, number one, we've had difficulty recruiting legit, big bodies for the defensive line for a couple of years now. Yeah. And Alex Grinch was putting together a defense that, you know, whether through preference or necessity was sort of predicated on speed. You didn't need big guys, you know, et cetera. Like theoretically you didn't need those guys. Right. Um, and so Clay's comes in and I think it is pretty obvious, pretty quick that he, 
he does want at least one big body yes. there, uh, to eat up some space. And, and so, you know, so they get Lola, hey, uh, you know, whatever. Right. And, and so now he's gone. And, and, and so what, what concerns me the most is that, um, that the guys that they've got are just not a fit for what Clay's wants to do. Now on the flip side, you know, we say, okay, well, Clay's is this, you know, guy with a track record. has got a lot of experience, et cetera, et cetera. Well, okay. Let's see the creativity, right? Like yeah. that, now it's time to say, okay, you know, this is a guy who's been around and seen a lot of things and, and done a lot of things. So, um, you know, it, let's, let's see it. <laughs> you know, let's, well, so, and I, 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 I think I, there's some faith that maybe he can, you know, get some water out or squeeze some water out of a rock and, you know, figure out a way to maybe mask some of that stuff, at least for a few weeks. Yeah. I think, um, I think we get to the PAC 12 schedule. Yeah. I think Jeff, kind of that point is that he said, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but he said, as he comes in here that he's just kind of looking to adapt to what Alex Grinch did last year with this current crop of players, because he knows he's coming in and he's not trying to install anything too crazy. And that, he was the guy who had to get used to what was going on because that was what was going to suit the players best, right? Right. And, you know, I don't think that's his preferred way of doing things. No. You know, and again, I think you can see, you know, like like sort of the defensive tackle thing, you know, the, the Taylor Comfort. Because, look, uh, you know, we look at Daniel Aquale, like like Taylor Comfort is, is, is not – at all uh, no, <laughs> even in the same no. ballpark as Daniel Aquale, right? Like stylistically, body shape, athleticism, skill set, like all of those things, right? Like I imagine what Taylor Comfort maybe is best at is just sort of standing still and not being moved. Like and that's look, that's I'm not bagging on the guy for that either. Like that's that's a perfectly viable, you know, skill set for a defense. However, that's not a skill set that would have played with Grinch's front last year, right? So you've got this guy whose skill set is maybe just to be stout and, and not be moved. Well, that signals that, you know, Clays is maybe trying to do something a little different, that philosophically, yeah. you know, how he wants to defend is going to be a little different, maybe less stunting, maybe less twisting, maybe, you know, less penetration, you know, where the idea is we're going we're gonna to hit you before you can get to the line of scrimmage. Um, I think Clay's is much more, you know, coming from the Midwest, it seems to make sense that he'd be much more of a, you know, sort of a uh, more standard, you know, Midwest, we're going to control the line of scrimmage, we're going to be big, we're going to be physical, um, you know, that kind of stuff. So it it is going to be interesting to see how he tries to adapt to what the particular personnel uh, is that he's got at the moment. And, and see if he can, again, like I said, you know, just really keep things afloat for a few weeks um, until maybe some of those bodies come back. I think that most of the guys who are out right now, it seems like, uh, you know, it seems like it's only a matter of time before they come back. Most of those don't seem like long-term, you know, season-ending type right. things, yeah. at least from the tea leaves as we're able to read them. Yeah. So, uh, so, you know, I think it's, I think it's just a matter of staying afloat. The good news is, like, if we just start off with Wyoming, Wyoming's offensive line has, has issues. They've got injury issues. They've got problems. Yeah. So I, I think that there's there's reason to believe that that they will be able to kind of, like I said, stay afloat for, for a few weeks. Yeah. I think one thing I'm not worried about, though, Jeff, is the guys behind them and the linebackers. You get Peyton Palour back, and somehow the NCAA – you see, I still don't get how the NCAA decides this stuff. Peyton Palour was given another year. But, yeah, I, I just – that's, that's got to be it, right? Because I thought – Palour, you know, if you want to apply for it, apply for it because I, there's nothing wrong with applying for it and getting told no. But what was surprising was that he was told yes, even though he 
just used a red shirt year to use a red shirt year and then played three seasons and you know got knocked out early in his fourth it was gobsmacking to me that they gave him a sixth year of eligibility but I'm not going to object to it considering having him back there along with Jahad Woods and Justice Rogers there's a lot of talent at linebacker and you know even though we worry about the defensive line and if you can't do your job up front, those linebackers are going to get eaten alive. That is the best unit on the defense far and away, isn't it? Just because of the mix of experience and just the raw athleticism you have back there. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, I'm, I'm real high on the secondary too. So, yeah. I, you know, I do know there's a, you know, there's a question mark at safety next to Thompson. Um, but I think, you know, there, there's a distinct possibility that Jalen Thompson is the best player on the defense. I think that's... Yeah. That's, you know, a, a, like I said, a distinct possibility, uh, maybe even a probability. And then you've got, you know, Darian Moulton, a real steady, solid, you know, corner who's been around for a couple of years, started pretty much every game of his career. And then Sean Harper Jr., who, who I think is probably actually our best corner. Mm-hmm. Um, I think last year he made the most plays. He, uh, you know, always seemed to be able to, you know, be right with receivers, get his hands on the ball. You know, he had some interceptions. I mean, he was a guy, I think, who who our fans maybe underrated a little bit. Um, I think maybe partly because you know he wasn't the start at the beginning of the year, was a JUCO guy, kind of worked his way in. Right. Um, I think there's a really good chance he's our best corner, and I think he does the kinds of things Clay's wants to do. I mean, if and, and I realize that extrapolating from one game is is sort of dangerous, but you know if we just look at the Holiday Bowl, right, where he was the coach and what their secondary did to our receivers, they were physical, really yeah. physical. And, and I think one of the big frustrations for fans with, with Grinch's defense, if there you know, were any over the last however many years, um, is the idea that you know our corners would play really soft, right? You'd, you'd see you know tons of completions right in front of the right. corners. You know, and it'd just be like, oh my God, why are they playing so soft, right? And so it's obviously – it really seemed to be obvious that they were trying to limit, you know, big plays over the top. Um, I think Clay's really wants to change that mentality. I think he wants his corners tighter. I think he wants them more physical. I think, you know, he wants to be a little more aggressive in that way. Um, and so I, I think that, you know, the secondary might be just as good as the linebackers. And, and I think the line, and I think the linebackers are awesome. So, you know, it's going to come, I think back to this, to the line, you know, mm-hmm. can they get pressure? Can they, can they, uh, you know, stop the run enough? You know, can they keep the guards off of Palur, you know, so that he doesn't get swallowed up? But I do think it's a benefit that Palur's, um, he's not a huge guy, but he's, you know, certainly bigger than the other guys mm-hmm. that they've got at linebacker. So I think that's a benefit also. So, so yeah, I mean, linebackers and, and DBs, man, I feel great about those teams. I, feel, I do. I feel awesome. So yeah. if Blaze is able to come up with something, you know, to mitigate some of those defensive line issues, which again, you know, his history suggests maybe he can. Um, I think the defense, you know, I don't think they'll be as good as, as they were last year because that was, you know, built around Hercules and all the stuff he did. But but I still think they could be okay. I think there's talent for sure. I, I want to be positive here, and we both want to be positive here. We discussed this before we even hit the record button, was that, you know, we, we both kind of probably think that this is not a bowl-eligible team this year, but there is a path to six wins for them, as, you know, difficult as that may be. And I think I said in the first show that this feels as close to 2013 as any season, you know, since then, where a lot of stuff broke the right way for that team. And not only that... The games they did win, by and large, they played almost perfectly, except for that game against USC. Nobody played well in that game except for the defenses, and then they got lucky to have an interception returned for a touchdown. But 
I, I, I kind of think and I get the sense that this is a football team that if you want to win a game this year, by and large, maybe outside of the San Jose State game and probably the Eastern Washington game, I think the Eagles are probably better than San Jose State, to be honest. Um, but I, this, you know, I, I, you get the feeling that they really got to play almost perfectly to get those wins, but there are opportunities on the schedule to do that, including in Corvallis against Oregon State, <clears throat> up here against Cal, as well as in Boulder, because we don't know how good or bad Colorado's really going to be, even though they have Steven Montez. Can you at least see your way to six wins with this football team this season? Sure. Absolutely. I mean, it's look, you know, I, I do think that you start to wonder, so if they go out and stub their toe in Wyoming, which... You know, I don't think Wyoming is any great shakes, and you know they've they've got a pretty decent defense, but I think there's a real chance that their offense is a tire fire. Yeah. So it's like, okay, you know, that's a game that that you can win and maybe should win, and um, if you win that one, then you figure you come home, you get San Jose State, you get Eastern, you know, you're three and zero. Now you're looking at you know three and six in Pac-12. You know, well, are there three wins? I mean. I would not be shocked if there were three wins in there at all. I mean, like you said, you know, Corvallis, you got Cal coming up here. You got Arizona coming up here. I mean, it's right. Arizona comes up here. Yes, yes. they do. Yes, yes. Week before yes. the Apple Cup. Okay. I was like, we didn't miss them this year. No, no, no. Yeah. So Arizona comes up here and look, Khalil Tate's whatever, but you know, they got to come up to Pullman. Right. Yeah. And that's not, it's a little different than playing down in Tucson. And you know, the last, uh, last time Arizona came up to Pullman, I don't think it went real great. So, you know, let's, uh, uh, no, I seem to recall a whole lot of points to yeah. not very many. If, if it was, I think it was actually, no, it was a, no, they scored seven, but either way. Yeah. Yeah. We were, we were looking at drop 70, right? Yes. So, you know, it's like, look, and Khalil Tate's great. You know, I mean, he's amazing, but you know, he's certainly not invincible. I think we showed that. I think not we, but I think team showed that last year. You know that uh, that there are ways to do things with him, and and you know, um, so yeah. I mean, there's look again. You and I both have said, yeah, probably not. Yeah. But it's like it's not crazy. It's not absurd. It's you know, okay, great. You get past Wyoming. I feel a lot better. You get past Wyoming. Yeah. You know, you get past. You're going to beat San Jose State. You're going to beat Eastern Washington. Please, God, beat Easter Washington. <laughs> and, then, and after that, you only have to find three more wins. And that that's, you know, honestly, that's a lot of what, you know, 2013 was like, right? Yeah. You know, he's kind of said, okay, well, probably not going to win that one. Probably going to get killed in that one. Probably going to get killed in that one. But this one, maybe. This yeah. one, maybe. This one, you know, maybe. And in 2013, they, they pretty much won, you know, all those maybe games. So, you know, I think that's I think that's entirely I think it's entirely doable. It's not crazy and you know, I, I think the schedule sets up in a way that, you know, the teams that they are, you know, maybe better than Oregon State and Colorado, they play them on the road. So okay, great. You know, right? You're you're going on the road against yeah. a team you, you should be able to beat. Um, Cal, a team that, you know, you're probably pretty evenly matched with. Um, is, or maybe even, you know, some people think Cal's better, whatever. But, you know, probably relatively even. Well, they've got to come to your place. So, you know, I think those things. And then maybe you pick off a game that you're not expected to. And, you know, all of a sudden you're, you know, you find yourself with six wins. And I think, I think that's doable. Yeah. I want to touch on one more thing before we go because we we figured out a way to make it doable. We figured out that, but if it wasn't, say they did win five games, how stupid was it to just eliminate the chance of a Pac-12 team going to a bowl game with five? Was there any? Can you? I tried to think of a reason the day the Pac-12 announced that that we're not going to send any five-win teams to bowl games. I I literally could not come up with a reason, a good reason, 
why they would do that and ju- and just do it without I like they just did it. Can you think of a good reason why? I mean, the Pac-12 loves to take the moral high ground on things. Oh, give me a uh, with the morality. I mean, that's part of, of it. That that might be part of it. I have a hard time believing that would be all of it. Um, it you know, there's got to be some kind of financial reason. Um, you know, here's here's my best guess. Uh, you know, a team that's five and seven. You know, there, there's a chance they could be firing their coach. Yeah. Uh, and then you're also dealing with, you know, the I, I, here's the other thing I think that probably played into it more than than people think is that the early signing period, you know, if you're going to one of those, you know, janky bowl games that have an open slide, you know, the heart of Dallas bowl or whatever, right. Mm-hmm. Those are, you know, December 22nd, you know, whatever. Right. And so, you know, you're right around that December 20th. I don't know if December 20th is the day every year, but whatever. It's right that, around, it's about, about a week before Christmas. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So right. About a week before Christmas. You know, so you're trying to prepare for a bowl game while trying to recruit. And, oh, by the way, maybe you fired your coach. So now you've got an interim coach trying to coach. But I mean, just, yeah, I, I think it's probably something a little more practical like that. The idea that maybe you just kind of want to get on with your season. I know a lot of people talk about, you know, the practices and whatever. Well, you know, when your bowl game's on December 22nd, you don't get as many practices. No, you, know, you, you do don't not. get as much of that development time, and because uh, you go down, you know, whatever a week before the game starts. And so anyway, that'd be my guess. You know, I, I but I also think the Pac-12 just loves to be snooty and stick their nose up in the air and say, "We're the Pac-12. We are not sending a five-win team to a bowl game." Yeah, look at all those water polo championships we have to show for it. Jeff right? Newser, yeah, right? it's just so great being champions and everything else except for the Golf sports championships. Soccer championships uh, and track yeah. and field championships. Great, just super. Conference of champions. I love Michael. it. Yeah, conference of champions and sports that only Stanford and Harvard play. Jeff Newser joined us on the season preview. Shows every Monday or Tuesday, the week of football games this coming season. And we're going to do a little bit more during basketball. Try to get you through the misery that will probably be that season here on the Coop Center Hour. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, Just go to cars.com. It's magical.